Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lost Hope Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most intriguing and really the most helpful leaders in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And do you know what really goes on inside America's 841 major sports stadiums? And we're not just talking the games and athletes here. We're embracing the whole entire culture of those who intend, attend the games, the entertainers who make halftime, the folks who raise the sod and the scalpers who sell the tickets, and, and how these temples of sport and community and commerce have all created some undeniable unique feature in the lives of uh, those of us who dwell in the United States. Well, until today, it's remained sort of a fascinating but unknown realm, and we've, which we've all been sort of fondling like blind men, grasping the feel of an elephant. But today, we have the globe's greatest first-hand stadia expert, author of the best-selling Arena, a book that you're really going to want to read, Mr. Rafi Cohan the author, and he has researched the stadium underbelly uh, all the way up and by one of the most interesting road trips you might ever imagine. So whether you're a former professional gridironer who really only saw the locker room and field like George, or you're a hedge fund wizard who's swept up by both the sport and the culture like Keith, pull your chair up a little closer. Join us for this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. Rafi, I'm so glad that you've been able to break free from your writer's den and come share with us your encyclopedic uh, tales of today's bread and circuses. Um, Bart, it's, uh, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, that's good. Now, as I understand it, you are uh, the the book is out, but your your pen is still moving merrily on. You are the head of editorial at uh, Atlantic's. Uh, a rethink for uh, Atlantic Magazine, is that right? Yes, that's right. I've been here for uh, about a year, uh, you know, doing a branded content, native content work, uh, as I also sort of continue my uh, my freelance editorial endeavors. Oh, wonderful! So we're going to. So not only can we find you at uh, Atlantic Rethink, we can also look forward to that next book that's churning around in there somewhere. Um, that's great. Rafi, now, your book, Arena, this was obviously a labor of love. And and it, it's also very far from some remote scholarly discourse. As I understand it, you took about a year-long Lewis and Clark-style uh, road trip, and you visited Stadia nationwide and inserted yourself in every individual clan and coterie. Could you give us a brief outline of where you trekked and the number of places you explored? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, you know, I, as you said, I, uh, I set off on what I, what I like to describe as a year-long road trip. It was for all of 2015, 
and it brought okay. me everywhere from you know Oakland to San Diego to Kansas City to the Redneck oh, Riviera in Alabama uh, you know, up to Boston and, you know, throughout the Northeast Corridor and, and, and many places in between. Um, and my, uh, you know, my travels were really, you know, sort of jigsawed together uh, over the course of the year because, of course, when you're dealing with multiple professional sports leagues and teams, you know, right. there are difficult schedules to balance, home games, away games, uh, competing seasons. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I, you know, from the beginning, I just sort of went wherever – the you know the winds of of sportsdom were taking me at the time from uh you know my very first Great. venture was down to Arlington Texas um for the college uh-huh. football playoff championship game and then 2 weeks uh-huh. later I was spending 2 oh, weeks yeah. in Salt Lake City around the uh the oh, Olympic okay. facilities um you know from the 2002 Olympic games uh and and basically you know over the course of the year I mean I I was, of course, trying to see as many venues as I could, and yet I was trying to sure, be very sure. intentional and targeted. Um, mm-hmm. So perhaps over the course of the year, I found myself in about three dozen uh, venues, but that was actually even more than I was expecting because everywhere no, I no. went, I had an agenda. You know, I wanted to go behind the scenes right. with the ticket scalpers, with the groundskeepers, with the mascots. And so I picked places that seemed like they would really help illuminate those specific underworlds and subcultures, the ones that are featured in the book. Um, so I, so I, I tried to go everywhere I could and see everything I could. I also tried to really spend a good chunk of time everywhere I went, uh, at, least, at least one to two weeks. Good for you. Oh, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you did. I think it, the, the tendency is to sort of keep your eye over the shoulder when you're writing something like this and think, oh, I've got to get the real one and I've got to make time. And, and you do, didn't do that. You, you dug in. I'm good for you. Uh, Ravi, so a lot of nations uh, have fanatically devoted uh, spectator sports cultures. Uh, the Italian soccer uh, bus groupies are, are legend in their own way. But in your expeditioning, what did you discern was, uh, let's say, unique or uniquely American about the the U.S. stadium culture? Well, it's a great question, and and there's no and there's no doubt that by traveling across the country and seeing the country through the lens of sport, I do feel like a lot of America was revealed to me, and you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far into it because we have, uh, you know, we we have some time in front of us, and I also don't want to start off on a on a down note. But one of the things that's most unique about just American stadiums in general is is is, is how quickly and unfortunately we dispose of them, the kind of planned obsolescence. Mm. That's something that is distinctly American about the way we treat our stadiums, the way we treat our venues. Uh, and but beyond that, the thing that's maybe most American. Uh, is sort of the regionality. You know, the fact that wherever you go, you're going to get a little bit of a unique flavor and culture, whether it's the the food scenes, the tailgating food scenes outside stadiums in New Orleans uh, or outside Kansas City where it's barbecue, um, to then... You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, going back to Arlington, Texas, outside of Jerry's World, in you know where the Cowboys yeah. play, it, is, it sure. is just an absolute party, you know, for hours before the game, and literally every tailgate tent has an amateur DJ set up, and that's, you know, and people are there to, <laughs> to see and be seen and, and just have a good time, and the game is truly secondary. So I think in some ways it's almost that we have these, these, um, 
these unique cultures that pop up around each stadium that allow each city or region to kind of reveal itself in you know within its own displays of fandom that are that are that are unique to that sport that stadium that place i i think that's a good answer and you also have you're you're reminding me of of the medieval Carna- uh, market that would turn into a carnival just mm-hmm. because uh, the sheer humanity gathered there and this is everyone's chance to be, be released and be their own. If you just joined us, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the labyrinthian realms of cyberspace where you may listen and download uh, this and all our episodes by visiting theartofceo.com we are on many uh, radio stations and uh, countless internet uh, openings but uh, theartoftheceo.com is really the easiest way to catch us now Rafi the very word arena uh, as I remember from my student days is Latin for the word sand when apparently the, the fine Egyptian sand was the best for soaking up the blood from the Roman gladiatorial contents, uh, combats uh, what do you uh, what do you think? I mean are we still kind of the same if we evolved beyond the bread and circuses mob of the Romans a little bit or not? I mean to a certain extent probably not. Uh I mean you go travel to Oakland uh, you know as I did well before they moved to Vegas of course and you can sit and hang out with uh, the Oakland Raiders black hole and you get to see people dress up <laughs> in costume and and almost you know fight with one another performatively almost as though you know because they want to be a part of the show uh and of course yeah, you go yeah. to a game you're you're going there for food and entertainment what else is a is bread and circus but that um but uh-huh. and yet yeah. i will also say though what what was revealed to me in part you know through this trip and uh you know i i i have a long subtitle to my book but it really i mean it really sort of captures it um uh, the, it's inside the tailgating, ticket scalping, mascot racing, dubiously funded and possibly haunted monuments of American sport. And and again, as as you described up top, you know, the idea for me was to sort of look under the hood and go behind the scenes and sort of look where other people do not when it comes to these these venues and these these places. And the the, the fact is, is when you turn over those stones, what you find is that it's very serious business. You know, like the grounds yeah. crew. You know who you know who go to school for this and study it and are and are obsessive about about their craft, to the logistics and the operation guys. You know who who labor over making sure that the the crowd control choreography you know is is perfect when you're both going in and coming out and that you're servicing oh, yeah. everyone in exactly the right way. Um, and your and your security crew. You know, is monitoring the operations from an EMC and you know uh, some sort of main uh, uh, central command compound where they have eyes both inside and outside of the stadium, and and that's sort of the thing is once you start paying attention to these to these individuals as I did, the games mm-hmm. and and the bread and circus for that matter kind of falls away because it's kind mm-hmm. of just the backdrop for this very serious business and these weird little worlds that you otherwise just take for granted. 
I, I think you're right. There's a great uniting of human effort, and that dynamism is the real story. It's not the Easter Island statues. It's the decision to go make them and everybody crafting to set them in place. Very good. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, let's let's move into one of these little areas. One of my favorites is, is the ticket scalpers. Now, these guys have for, for decades, it, it forms really a solid entrepreneurial core of, of business folk. And could you tell us a little bit of, about uh, how the scalpers work and, and, so, and some of the scalpers you met, perhaps? Yeah, this was definitely the part that I was most looking forward to in terms of my reporting was getting to try, and I emphasize try, to embed with ticket scalpers. Um, because, huh. honestly, why would they talk to me? Why would they talk to any journalist or reporter? What do they have to gain? Yeah, I'm sure. You know, uh, of course, nothing. Uh, and yet, you know, I was able to um, ingratiate myself enough that I met some really interesting guys. Uh, in, in Cleveland, I met a scalper named Big Mike, and he was kind of my, my entree to the rest of the crew. Because I had an extra ticket one day, he needed an extra ticket, I didn't care about going in, so I gave him my ticket. Uh, and, he, and I was rewarded over the next two weeks because he proceeded to give me multiple tickets to go to Cavaliers playoff games, to go into club seats oh with the Indians. Gosh. Having a scalper, let me just tell you as a side note, as uh. a friend, is a very, there are lots of perks. Um, but scalping <laughs> traditionally... You know, traditionally scalping is just it's a it's a buy and sell business. It sounds simplistic, but that's what it is. Uh, a lot yeah, of the guys uh -huh. they call it grinding. You're working the margins. You know, you could buy. Right, right. It could be a crappy game. You know, rainy day baseball early early April, and you buy ten tickets for ten dollars total. But if you sell all of them for for five dollars each, you made money. It's the same thing. If you yeah, just buy yeah. one ticket for one twenty-five and sell it for one fifty, you're not doing any better. Uh, so it's all about figuring yeah, yeah. out the margins, and that's what these guys do. You just constantly grind, just like buying and selling, buying and selling. You don't want to get stuck with mm -hmm. tickets because it is a commodity with a shelf life. Um, but you know what? Yeah, yeah. The other one of the other interesting things that I found out about, at least historically, for scalpers, is that this is something I, I really I had no idea, and I, I found I found really really interesting is that these guys take road trips together, you know, because there are lulls really? in the I schedule. Really, I did not know that. Yes, because you know. So they will follow their team to away games. I, I, th not, I thought they would be not attached just their to the teams. stadium. Not just their oh. teams. I thought they would be attached to their stadiums too. But let's say it's you know you're in Cleveland and it's December and you know people don't want to stand outside of the in the Gateway District to buy a regular season ticket to go see LeBron James and whatever you know motley crew of underperforming players he has with him at that moment. Then <laughs> you know then they'll take a road trip to you know through the southeast to go for college bowl season or if there's a boxing match in Vegas they'll go to Vegas or if there's a Bruce Springsteen or a Taylor Swift concert oh, no. they will follow that concert around the country because there's so money to be made so you don't like the music man got to know the territory you have the skill well, you, it is a benefit uh, to be playing on your home turf, to be sure, because I also heard stories about, you know, not necessarily knowing the ground rules somewhere else, uh, not knowing maybe how intensely police might try to intimidate you. Uh, Chicago, for example, I was warned off ever trying to to become a scalper there, not that I would ever consider being a scalper 
anywhere, uh, really. But yeah. you know, you go different places, and that you know, and you hear stories about the local scalpers trying to scare you off their turf. So it is a little oh, bit yeah, of, of course, a dance once you, uh, you know, once you, you know, once you sort of leave home. But but there's also a lot more money to be made if you take those risks. That's a, well, now why is the scalping trade sort of dwindling down to an engendered few at this point? Well, a couple of main reasons. One is that um, across the country, um, not everywhere, because the scalping laws are written locally. Uh, but uh-huh. in the last cu- in the last couple of decades, a lot of the scalping laws, especially explicitly in the places that I visited, uh, have loosened. And as a result, before it would be those people who were willing to take the risk. You know, those ones who were willing right. to you know play the cat and mouse game with the cops and and take an arrest right. every now and then and be fined. Uh, and now, once you loosened it up, and essentially, even if it is technically not legal, um, it's basically it's allowed. Allowed, correct. And so that, compounded by the fact that we've all become amateur ticket brokers with the secondary <laughs> online market and the yep. internet with your StubHubs and SeatGeek, that the rest of us, right. if we're thinking about going to a game, we would never just show up and say, oh, I'll buy a ticket. We're looking on our phone to, to watch the prices drop, uh, to see if the course, prices will Everyone drop. is pre-purchasing, pre-purchasing. That's right. And so, we're just, honestly, we're just out of the habit. There's a good stat, uh, you know, which is from in 2010, uh, something like 60 to 70% of the secondary ticket market existed outside of, of sports arenas and venues. Five years right. later, that percentage is down to 10 or 15%. And you know what? That stat's already three years old. I bet it's I bet it's dwindled even further. And that's part of the nine percent of retail purchases that we make online. We, we last year we bought five trillion dollars worth of retail goods, and nine uh, percent online. And that was that's that's part of it. It's a big part of it. Fascinating. Oh well, wow! This this is this is utterly fascinating. But um, after our delightful sort of noshing away at today's piece of wisdom, I believe it's time to take a uh, brief sorbet. And allow me to proffer you a few utensils for today's feast. So, if you will, uh, uh, allow me to remind each of you the first utensil. Uh, actually, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask. Will this be the day that you look over that strange sea of faces you encounter, make some introductory move, and discover some fascinating tale or benefit from one or two folks? Or will you continue to hunker shyly down and let this stimulating flow of life pass you by? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense your yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and take a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. So I am thumbing through it, and okay, here we are. In honor of our guest, uh, here is number three. Uh, having Predator's Inc. in your veins was once considered a journalistic compliment, but today, having toner in your veins means, alas, your life will just run out far too fast. So, Raffi... Tell me, do you feel as as a, an author and journalist, have you got Predator's Inc. in your veins? Well, after a year of tailgating with fans across America, it's either that or alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Apparently, according to the tales of most writers, they blend magnificently well and with <laughs> an immense frequency. Yeah. But, 
as an afterthought, just just a second thought, you know, there's so many of today's products that are really just levers for continual repurchase and replenishment. But, you know, I think if you have a business, you may just want to, con- and you'd like better profits, why not concentrate and add a little durability and uh, just watch the client smile? Just a thought. And if you smirked a, a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit uh, bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 102 or 101 Best Business Quips, and you're going to find that your agile tongue and mind burbling forth a laughter and wisdom that will lighten the load of your fellow chain gangers at work. And as a third utensil, we sumptuously spooned you the answer to last week's business quiz. That is the name of the individual who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Well, those words were spoken by none other than the top consultant to Exxon and so many corporate giants, Mr. Jim Rohn. Congratulations to all you winners. And stick with us, because later on in the show, blurting away comes another quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you're correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind and soul-stirring gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And today, before we return with Rafi Cohen to the glitz and gleeful energy of America's sports stadia, allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we're here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing creator of, among other divisions, Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides, and you may visit bartsbooks.com to explore really a wide wealth of practical wisdom from business masters. And today, the folks at Prometheus invite you to take a look at one book which has helped a great many women in their careers. It's entitled, Behind Every Successful Woman is Herself. It, it's really a little gem of a guide embracing the thoughts of many of a dozen major leading business women and over uh, 80 or 100 contributors, and it provides all the techniques and disciplines and the all-important attitudes for ladies who would like their career and their various enterprises to take off and get where they should go. It makes a great uh, ideal gift for the graduate who's uh, stepping out of academia and putting her feet firmly into the business community. So you may pick up your copy at... uh, among many many stores, but at bartsbooks.com bookstore. And I invite you to take that, take advantage. Carpe diem, my friend, you are indeed worth it. And now, with utensils in hand, come with me as we and burrow back into the Stygian depths of our United States monumental sports stadia with our mentoring Virgil, Rafi Cohan. Rafi, you got involved rather precariously, I hear, uh, in some of the halftime shows. Uh, circus. Uh, there was one particular gentleman that, that you quote helped uh, in the act. Could you share that terrifying tale with us? Yes, and uh, it, it, you're right to say quote helped. Um, so there's a <laughs> there's a halftime act uh, by the name of the Amazing Sladek. Uh, he's sort of risen to the top of the charts in terms of you know most in demand uh, for NBA games. Uh, if you're uh, and if you're a TNT watcher, if you watch the All-Star game or any of the playoffs, you'll occasionally see the inside the NBA crew with Chuck and Ernie and Kenny Smith throw it to to Sladek, you know, throw the cameras to him because he's become a darling of, of that crew. Uh, so he's really sort of made a name for himself late in life. He's pushing 60 and he's climbing 20 feet in the air on top of uh, six Whoa. stacked chairs and doing, doing handstands. <laughs> uh, 
at the Whoa, top of the good stack. For him. It's really it's really an impressive and kind of uh, terrifying feat. Uh, and I, I, the truth is, is that this was a, a complete freelance maneuver. Um, when I wrote about when I wrote my proposal for this book, he nor many halftime acts in general were 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 part of the consideration for the scope. However, when I mm. actually went to a game in Cleveland, a uh, ticket provided by Big Mike, uh, it was the first game uh, of the 2015 oh. NBA playoffs, and Sladek was the halftime act. And I was just transfixed by him. I, and I, I was like, I, I, I was mesmerized. I couldn't get out of my seat, and I looked around. Nobody else was getting out of their seat either, which is just so strange oh. for you know for the half for half time half time usually yeah, just, my God. it's just it's just it's just background distraction but this was not this was a show it was a compelling show in its own right so i reached out to him got to know him uh and he has he has a fascinating backstory which i don't have you know even close to enough time to get into here but suffice oh it to gosh. say eventually he asked me to read to the be, book yes Yes, you do. Um, he, <laughs> Let's get in there. Read that book. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, suffice to say, he eventually asked me to assist him on center court. You know, because of course, when he's climbing oh, the chairs, he needs someone to hand him the chairs. And the last right. two chairs, when he's already 15 plus feet in the air, must be handed to him on top of a thin metal pole contraption that he put together himself. But these oh, chairs my. are so much heavier oh, than you would ever imagine. <laughs> I it took me completely I have by a surprise. Bad feeling here. I want you to know. It's a very yes. it's a very top heavy uh endeavor once you're lifting lifting the poles up. And so I was his assistant uh for a uh, game at uh, Rutgers. It happened to be just, you know, again oh. scheduling is what worked uh you know for when we were both right. going to be in the same in the same neighborhoods. And Bring I honestly home. thought I was going to kill him. I mean, it was it was <laughs> it, it was petrifying uh because you know when you're in the stands you think that all this stuff is like pre-planned and it's going to work out great oh, yeah. but when you're in the moment you're on center court this show can take a can, can take a left turn real quick and especially if it's me you know your your assistant idiot uh you know just plunging <laughs> the pole into his tower of chairs i mean i could see the headlines oh, the next morning it would have been it, it would i oh, eventually Lord. I eventually uh, succeeded, uh, at least you know, to an extent, in that neither of us died uh, that day. Uh, well, but I, I, I would say I, that's that, that's on the plus side. I mean, yeah. being able to walk away with both legs. Yeah. But I would say he might think it, he might think twice before asking me or any other amateur to be his assistant <laughs> ever again. Oh Lord! It goes to show that the the will. Uh, that will and enthusiasm uh, are not the whole ball game, I guess. No, <laughs> oh, God, they can get you great. there, but that's about it. Well, actually, you know, from a professional point of view, I'm curious. Uh, these halftime shows—they're really our, our current version of vaudeville. Uh, would this be a good route for certain performers to make a mark or earn substantial fame or or, or profit? Uh, well, I think in I think in a lot of ways it's pretty niche, and there aren't a lot. Yeah. Of of the um, of these performers who are really performing at the top of the circuit, I mean, we can kind of uh, name them on one hand almost. You know, the amazing Sladek, mm. Red Panda, Quick Change. These are the ones that you know do pretty well and can develop almost cult followings because you know mm. they're almost they're they're like they're curiosities when we see them in the arena or you know a a monkey riding no, a bicycle no. or on the back of, you know riding a dog like a horse or something like that, but. Uh. 
it's I, it, it also has to be very specific in some ways, right? To be a good halftime act, yeah. it needs to be contained yeah. or like properly contained, at least within this within the space of the court. It needs to translate to a much wider arena. It needs to be a timed act. Uh, so I don't know mm-hmm. that it's necessarily something that that a performer of of I don't know how well, to describe no, I mean, it. Sort the, of the, interesting the capabilities and talents and feats. Yeah, um, right. it's quite the you know if if you're really serving yourself uh, to 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 <laughs> pursue this as the uh, as the ends to your uh, to your, to your trajectory. I mean, there's certainly right. clowns and acrobats who do well with other sorts of stage shows, whether it's in Vegas or traveling right. or whatnot. Um, I think it's just it's just kind of a a niche um, a niche little market. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, so it's a it's an interesting thing. It falls to some, but if I I wouldn't put it in your career agenda if if you're uh, hoping to, uh, as you say, uh, hit the hit the high fame spot. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit uh, before uh, uh, about uh, I want to talk about the tailgate. You talked about that. I, we don't have time, but I did want to follow the money a bit, Ravi. Um, we have in these here in the United States, I believe it's 841 world-class stadia, with Texas boasting 132, I might add. But eight of them offer more than 100,000 seats. These, this is a lot of money passing by. Who Could you give us a breakdown or, or just some idea of where the money goes and who gets it? Yeah, so I mean... I don't know necessarily, you know, like how, like who makes exactly what on game days, for example. But I will, I can, I can tell you with great confidence that a lot more of that money flows into the bank accounts of owners, uh, team owners, right. than it does into into city coffers. And even in the right. in the stadium situations where that might be owned by a municipality, you know, we've we sort of evolved. Uh, in in such a way the dynamic has evolved that you know cities grant teams sweetheart leases and and mm. and, and the, the 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 dynamic of power the balance of power has shifted so much so in the favor of team owners largely over the last 3 decades or so I mean 3 to 5 decades but 3 decades explicitly perhaps that there's really they've become stadiums have become really difficult economic propositions for cities, uh, for, for municipalities. And the, largely that's because there's, um, there's a, it's a monopoly. I mean, there's a limited supply of product in terms of professional teams. And as you, as you illustrated in just even the framing of the question, infinite demand – there's infinite yeah, demand, yeah, and right. they can play anywhere, and this other team in this mid-sized city will offer you a sweetheart lease that promises you more revenue on game days, parking revenue, club seats, and even potentially non-game day revenue. That, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it becomes, I mean, some people don't use like using the word extortion when it comes to the dynamic between team owners and cities, but if, if it's not extortion, it feels oh. an awful lot like a cousin of it. Right. No, I, I think you've put that very well. It, it is something that when you blow into town and you are the only game in, in town, literally, you uh, you can make your demands with with a good firm grip on uh, the municipality's lapels. And uh, yes. that's, that's how it goes. I, I want to ask one thing, that is, and, be, and along that line, uh, we've talked about this before, you and I, is it? That you you really held up this this temple of commerce uh, with food and, and the owners and the money coming in, and a temple of community 
with the mm-hmm. people gathering together from all all over. Uh, and I'm wondering with is this immense immense pressure of commerce and all the enterprises and the profiteering is that going to does that sort of push down or is is that destroying the sense of community that people feel or not? It really is the million dollar question, I think. And it, and in a lot of ways, I don't know if it's destroying it, but I think it's challenging it. You know, and as these okay. stadiums and arenas become more corporate spaces, you know, whether that's because it feels like we're always getting sold to and there's more points of revenue, uh more, more points of sale rather, and you know, and a, and a total product mix that is kind of splintering the way we experience the game because there's you know, a, a tequila bar over there and a, a different luxury suite product on the other side and a kid's area over there, or because you yeah. just simply don't know the people next to you where, because you can't afford the same season tickets that, as you once did. And, and therefore now it's like a rotating cast of characters in, um, you know, in pinstripe suits schmoozing clients, uh, you know, while that yeah, might yeah. make sense for, for, for bottom line dollars, it can threaten the community. Uh, I, what I have seen is that you know, community and fandom is very resilient, uh, both inside and outside of the, the stadium walls, you know, in, in, with rituals and routines like, such as tailgating, where traditions are passed down from generation to generation, uh, that I think the fans that really want to be there are going to find a way and a reason to be there, but is that going to always be the case? I honestly don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic, well, I, I, but I don't excellent. know. Excellent. Uh, cogent and thoughtful answer. Thank you. Uh, so, Ravi, how can people get a hold of this absolutely fascinating re- arena? How can they get? Yes. Uh, where can they get a copy for themselves? The arena is available. Uh, I mean, everywhere online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can certainly check your local bookstores as well uh, if you want to, you know, support uh, the independent booksellers. And and I will also just say that. Uh, if anybody wanted a signed copy of the book, I'd also be happy to send out signed book plates, and people are welcome to reach out to me for that. Wonderful. And how do they do that? How do they reach out to you? Well, perhaps the best way is uh, my email is uh, is on my website, which is rafikohan.com. It is, and my email is rlkohan, K-O-H-A-N, at gmail.com. That's the best way to get okay. a hold of me. Well, I thank you very much for coming on. This has been a, a, an utterly fascinating thing for for me and and all of uh and everyone listening out there and i'm I'm sure uh we we've all had a great deal of fun and i thank you very much for coming on this time oh it's been my pleasure thank you for the really thoughtful questions okay it's a good time we'll have to have you back and as we round out today's feast i am bart jackson your curator of business wisdom leaving you with today's business quotation who is who is the one who said what individual said i hear an almost inaudible but pervasive discontent with the price we pay for our current materialism and i hear a fluttering of hope that there might be more to life than bread and circuses and as a hint this optimistic newscaster launched his career as president lyndon johnson's press secretary and still stands as media's greatest sage and critic And remember, if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, why is it that the limitless fountain of business advice that folks are willing to sell you never quite holds the benefit 
of the caring counsel spoken from a wise friend. And to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as Rafi and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.